Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about location, location, location. And why it's mostly irrelevant. Yes, one, one would like to think so. So let's see, where do we start here? I guess this, this cropped up from an email message that I received from uh, a colleague who lives in a, call it a remote place. Not in the U.S., um, but and he has a very small target market of people that uh, I mean, literally, there are probably under a dozen of these sort of CEOs that he works with that are in his city. It's not a, it's not really a small city, but it, it's his market is so small, it's very limiting to operate in that area. It has been fine, but as economies go up and down and the the necessity of his services is perhaps not top of mind for these folks uh, and, you know, maybe burning out the market, you know, you've contacted everybody and they've all said no, or they've all hired you and now they're done. He was talking about how do I work remotely? How do I get outside of this? Because all of my skills are oriented around in-person interactions all the things you do, like he dresses the part, he's, he knows how to operate in person. He's just, he builds a lot of trust very quickly in person. The, the point is I said to him something like, well, just go online, you know, like work, what you, what he does can certainly be done remotely. And I was like, well, why don't you just do that? It's not like you're a massage therapist. That would be pretty tricky. I, I actually would argue that a massage therapist could make money online, but and he was like, I just don't have any skills for that. I, I don't even know how to begin creating a relation, a, you know, enough trust in a relationship with someone for them to actually give me money to do something. And I was like, huh, okay, that's fair. Because I, as, as we were sort of going back and forth over email, I started to realize that I've been working remotely for like the better part of 20 years before the internet was even like widely distributed. And yeah, people didn't do that then, 20 years right, ago. Right, And it was like, I'm like, oh, okay. I've been learning the flip side. Like the skills that he does have, I don't really have. You know, certainly not to the degree that he has them. I hadn't looked at it previously as a skill set that I had built up over time because to me it had become so obvious that, well, just start a Slack room or like start a mailing list or start a podcast or do a, a thing on YouTube or have a webinar. Like this endless number of things. I, to me, I'm like, I see as, as ways to interact with people and build trust with them online. And he's just like, his head was like spinning. He's like, I just want to pick up the phone and go to somebody's office and shake their hand. And <laughs> Well, see, I can totally relate to your client because that, that was me in 2008. I mean, that's how I spent my whole career. If, if I could meet them nine times out of 10, they would hire me and my crew. It is a different skill set and it's a different way of working. And that translation going from virtual to in-person or vice versa, I think those are skill sets and the translation to that is a process. You know, you have to do it a little bit at a time. Yes, I have newfound respect for that. For that, I, I kind of forgot or I didn't notice that that was something that I had learned over time, even as a, uh, a silver haired individual. <laughs> it just seems so obvious to me. So, um, but there's, there's another aspect to this, though, that is important, even for people who, who are used to operating online, which is that once you go from your locale, even if it's New York or LA or Boston, you go to meet up, you do these in-person things, 
you meet these people, you become well-known and trusted relatively quickly, and you're probably one of very few people who do what you do compared to how many people who do it globally. So once, once you make the shift to operating globally on the internet, basically operating remotely, now all of a sudden, not only are you, you kind of have one hand, you feel like you have one hand tied behind your back, but also you've got way more competition because everybody in the world who does what you do is now a potential competitor, not just the people in your city. And I think the natural response to this, and again, this is something that just seems obvious to me because I'm always operating remotely. I'm never operating locally is that you have to get super, super focused uh, and differentiate yourself from the, even if you do something really unusual, there's probably 10,000 other people that do it at least. So you need to get hyper-focused in your marketing, which you probably didn't have to do if you're used to pressing the flesh, as they say, because you can kind of explain yourself. And there, the, the reality of a physical interaction is that it's real time. It's, there's sort of etiquette involved. Someone's not gonna, probably not going to be super rude to you if you're not super rude to them. So they're going to listen. You can kind of explain yourself. Um, these situations might be a captive audience to a certain extent. So there are all, all of these benefits of, of this, in, this local thing that um, I think are what we want to talk about today. I think I want to tell the story of my moving from Chicago to LA because I think it, it works for your client. I was like your client. Everything I did was in person or I mean, I'd fly to meet somebody. It wasn't all just in Chicago. But when I started this company in 2007, I really worked with people locally in Chicago. I'd known them for years and I didn't have any trouble meeting people, getting referrals, finding work. Then we moved to LA in 2008, just before the economy dropped. So here I am knowing very few people in LA and I'm trying to do this the old fashioned way. I'm trying to meet people, press the flesh, get them to, to talk to me. I ask them questions, I listen, I join some networking groups. So after about six months of doing this, I was both exhilarated and exhausted by it because I love meeting new people. But when I wasn't getting any work from any of it, which was exactly the opposite of my experience, I started to get a little panicky, you know, because I would like to eat and, you know, have a roof over my head. So after about six months, I, I kind of, you know, sort of slapped myself upside the head and said, you know what, Rochelle, you are not going to get work this way. Not, not anytime soon. So you've got to look at different ways to do this. And so what I decided to do, I, you know, I'd been on LinkedIn and all that, but I decided to really try something different. So I got on Twitter and then I started blogging and I think I blogged maybe every other week. But what I would do with LinkedIn is I would post these provocative questions in some of the discussion groups. And so I started, let's see, I started Twitter in June of 2009. I did my first blog post, I think, in July and my second in August. And at the end of August, someone responded to my LinkedIn question and actually hired me. And I was just, I mean, I was shocked. I'm like, really? Because I figured I was doing this in addition to doing all the things in person because I figured, what do I have to lose? I've got to start somewhere. I'm going to start now. And it was a revelation actually to both of us because he had no idea that there were people who did what I do. And I had no idea I could actually sell this online. I mean, it was a theory. It happened really fast. 
The second one took a little bit longer, but it, it happened so fast that I was immediately hooked. I mean, that was it for me. I went from a person who loves to do everything in person to a person who likes to do very, very little in person. Very little, especially because of the way it's it's not high leverage work when you work one to one. So in a, in a community like L.A., it's very spread out. And so if I want to meet somebody, I have to drive to meet them. And, you know, you have to allow for traffic. And so all of a sudden, just to meet somebody for a simple meeting, never mind, you know, an in-depth brand meeting, it's, it's, a, it's a half a day. And you just can't do it. So I, I got to the point where I, I didn't want to work with LA people unless they were willing to work virtually. But it was fascinating to me. I did a complete 180. And I, I know that if I can do that, other people can too. And But the difference maybe is that I started with a very distinct uh, niche in the marketplace. And I was turning down, I kept having people say, oh, can you do marketing for food companies? And a part of me was like, oh, that would be so fun. But I said, no, that's not what I do. There's like a million people who are going to be better at that than I am. I'm about people, consultants, authors. Get me those people. And so I don't think there were enough of those opportunities in LA to meet, you know, one at a time would have taken forever. And I've been in the marketplace now for 10 years. I know a lot of people. But now if I get an LA client, it's not always from an LA referral. I've gotten LA people from a New York referral. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. So I guess the point is, is that is that you have to be you have to know what that niche is. And then you just have to start getting out that idea. And it has to the way that you deliver it has to tie to your audience. So this guy's got CEOs, he's going to find out where they are. I mean, if they're Fortune 500 style CEOs, which I'm guessing they're not because of the way you described a situation, those are hard to get to and you need a completely different strategy than if you're saying, well, I'm looking for you know small to medium businesses with revenue of 20 million to 100 million or 500 million. Then you, know, you have to go find where those people are so you can meet them. I said it already, but I want to call out how important it is to to be super crazy focused with some kind of audience, however you define it. If you're used to like a local operating locally, you know, it's just, it's a different world. It's a very, very, very small pond compared to the entire globe. And your, your brain, like human brain is not even like that great at dealing with numbers at that scale. So it feels like if you niche way down to like published authors, that it'd be impossible to like ever make a living, but it's the exact opposite. If you don't do that online, it's going to be really hard to connect with anybody, to break through the noise for them to even recognize that there might be some way that you could help them. It's funny because I give the advice all the time for, for folks who just are getting no traction with their marketing. They've got no leads one or two a year, um, it's referrals from friends and word of mouth. And when they when they go to talk to the person, they're so desperate to close the deal that they undercut themselves and they send the wrong signals and they end up with, uh, it's just a mess. So flipping it around to, it feels like a paradox or like counterintuitive, like flipping it around and focusing on something super, super, super specific is the thing that opens it up. 
and all of a sudden you appear to be unique and different or like a, a, mar a, a sort of a monopoly almost of like this particular thing because it's so specific that nobody else had the, the sort of wherewithal or the confidence to get that specific and focused. My friend, he's not actually a client. He's just a, he's like a colleague. He's got a tough market. They are big shot CEOs, maybe not Fortune 50, but definitely big shot CEOs, like thousands of employees, tens of thousands of employees. Somehow he's got to find where they are and it's going to be virtual because you can't like flying around is it doesn't scale with the possible exception of of flying to some sort of conference or thing that they all will go to. So like some kind of watering hole that they go to every year that somehow you get there and you speak somehow that would that's perhaps the. The first step I would take if I was in his shoes is to be like, okay, I, I have to find some event. From my history, the sort of credit union people were really hard to, to find online. They're on LinkedIn, but they don't really interact there. But they do have all kinds of these trade events. And it's kind of like a trade association. There's a national body called CUNA that puts on these educational things and they're always looking for speakers. And if you and if you do something that's valuable to that group, then the people who organize that thing are probably going to be interested in talking to you, even if it's not like the normal thing that they would have on their agenda, perhaps as a stepping stone, because that's my hope of this episode that we can kind of give people like a, a little bit of a path. A stepping stone might be to find a place where those people congregate in real life versus like an online watering hole. And somehow get your, hopefully a speaking spot there, but some kind of authority type position there, uh, even if it's a breakout session or some sort of um, free workshop or something, but get yourself there in a, in a way that people are going to, you know, sit and listen. And then you can do your, your normal thing, which is interact with these people in person. And then they're going to disperse back to wherever they came from all over the globe. And now you've sort of spawned connections all over the place. And hopefully that's like a, a good starting point. Well, and, and go for the breakout session. I mean, we all get wrapped up in wanting to be the keynote, but if you don't already have the reputation and the references to be able to pull that off, go for the breakout session, especially if you're good on your feet and you, you get to demonstrate what you do in action. It's actually much more powerful than having the keynote slot. If your goal is to get clients, you know, they want to see you in action and it bonds them to you in a way that is hard to do any other way. Yeah. And the people who are sitting there are more likely to be ideal clients because they picked like they self-selected to come to this. Like everybody's going to go to the keynote. Well, the opening keynote, never take a closing keynote. <laughs> everybody's on a plane. <laughs> I think that's a good a good thing to do. If you continue to just go to meetups locally, then eh, you already met those people or they already know who you are. Your, your name is already uh, in those circles. So, you know, maybe go to a conference uh, and that sort of thing uh, where your audience is going to be. But it's still it's critical to be hyper focused on your audience because you can't. I don't know about most people, but flying around to conference, you know, living on a plane is no fun. I, I don't it's not not that many people enjoy that. So you want to be pretty selective about where you're going to go. It could be near you. It could be that you're just lucky. And like a lot of people come to, you know, Barcelona for the new mobile phone announcements, or they go to Las Vegas for consumer electronics, whatever the thing is that you do there, you know, look around for the closest event to you. Hopefully there is one 
Um, if not, find the biggest one and go to that maybe once a year. Maybe there's two you could go to a year and do your in-person thing. There's a lot that you can do online as you're you know doing that. I think you should really start to flex those muscles of doing online interactions with folks in the market, uh, content marketing and those sorts of things. What do, you, what do you think is the next closest thing to a real life interaction? Would it be social media, do you think, where you, you're interacting with people and you're not just broadcasting like blog posts? Or what do you think would be a good, what was a good next step for you? What I wanted to say, but you have to get to that point, is to have a, a telephone conversation or, or a Skype. It is to have an actual one-to-one conversation. Um, social media, to me, comes the closest to having that conversation. And I think what I would do if I were him is I would pick the best platform and put all my energies into that one. So if it's, uh, it might be LinkedIn for CEOs, not all CEOs are on Twitter or want to be on Twitter, but yours might be. I mean, you want to look at it and see who's there. Pick that platform and then try to make it, when I say conversational, I mean experiential. So it feels like they're working with you. However that is, if you're more formal, then it's a little more formal. If you're more casual, it's more casual, but you give them the experience of working with you with everything that you post or interact. And with LinkedIn in particular, you know, I I just think the discussion groups, not the ones that have 50,000 people posting every other Thing in the world, but the very focused smaller groups, you can make some pretty interesting connections that way. Mm, and I know a lot of people who are doing these sorts of consulting things, like my friend, you don't need a million customers to have a great year. You don't have payroll, you don't have all, you know, other than yourself. So it's not like you need to go in a room of 50,000 people. Like I have a friend who's in a Slack room of, ironically, this sort of goes against the point of the, the conversation, but his are actually locally based. But it's, it's a group of CEOs that are lo- happen to be local to him, although it's sort of irrelevant. It's, it's what the group was built around initially. But they have contacts everywhere who are not necessarily in that group. And the relationship is completely virtual. They have occasional meetups, but it's a small group. I think that's better. I, and I think we agree that's probably better. It's closer to the in-person experience. And if you're kind of just putting a toe in the water, I think it can be intimidating to think that you're talking to 50,000 people. The chances are you're not, right? It just feels like you are. But keep it small to begin with and stick to the core promise of your brand. You know, what is it that you deliver to that CEO audience and just stick to that? Yeah, I have people do this thing called answer bombing, which uh, sounds a little harsh, I guess, but... If and when you do find a watering hole that your audience hangs out in online, then just look for questions that that are right up your alley and go over the top answering it. Like not just like, oh, here's a link to my website that has a blog post about this. That feels a little lazy, but like really get into that, get into it with them. I do this. I do this all the time. I don't know if this will surprise people or not, but people who DM me on Twitter or on LinkedIn or wherever, send me an email. I'll get, I get into it with people all the time. And and I I mean, like get into a consultative back and forth where they'll say, um, you know, I, you know, somebody just text, you know, whatever DM me on Twitter and was like, uh, I agreed to do this job, but it was not going that great. And they were going to pay me 100% when it was done. And then I kind of flaked out and they hadn't paid me, but I did say I was going to do it. And now I feel like I've, you know, I'm, I'm in this small community, very small community in this case. 
and I feel like I've kind of burned my reputation, but I didn't really steal anything, but it wasn't, it didn't seem cool. There's a lot of bad blood. What should I do? I could have ignored that, but I, you know, I get into it. I'm like, well, actually a lot of that information came out over the course of some back and forth. He didn't tell me all that up front. So I'll get into that relationship and say like, well, you know, did you take any money or was that, or, or did they, no, they didn't give you any deposit. No, they didn't give me a deposit. Okay. Well, what about this? What about that? Whatever. But the point being that if you can find an online place where they're hanging out a watering hole, then look for questions that, that you can answer, like something that's up your alley and just be helpful, like really, really helpful. So like get into air quotes, free consultation. This is sort of sort of touchy territory because people are like, uh, you know, don't pitch for free and, you know, don't give things away for free or like whatever, like that Mad Men scene where Conrad Hilton and whatever. I, I say give it away for free because what are you doing? You're basically hanging out at a cocktail party. What are you going to do? Like you you meet someone at a cocktail party and you're just casually talking there and they're interested in what you do and they, they say, oh, interesting. You like help people dramatically increase their effective hourly rate. Well, I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist or a psychologist and I charge people by the hour and it seems like a weird way to do it. How, how would I even do that? Like, I'll do it right there. I'll have like a consultation right there at the cocktail party, the barbecue or whatever it is, because I know, I just trust that like, that's, that's going to come around. Like that's going to benefit me. Maybe this person might never hire me, but they might have a friend or the word's going to get around. So give it away for free. Like, it's not like you had to fly somewhere. That's kind of the point. Uh, just be super helpful and, and do these like almost blog post length answers to people's questions or like a big thread with them. And if you want to get some value out of it for yourself immediately, you can use that or an anonymized version of that as a blog post or a podcast episode or some other content marketing. Maybe this would maybe be a good segue into content marketing. One of the things you did was you started blogging and posting about it on Twitter and, and a little bit more of the, the broadcasty aspect of, of web stuff and a little less of the social media interaction stuff. What was your, what was your strategy back then when you started blogging, for example? Well, basically it was that I, I was hoping I could comment on things within the industry that people would find interesting and that they would comment. I mean, that literally my goal was to get somebody to comment so I knew somebody was reading the darn things. It was funny, my second one, I violated a cardinal rule and it was right around the time that Ted Kennedy had passed away. And I wrote this this blog post about, I don't remember the exact title, it's still up on my on my site, something like the four things Ted Kennedy taught me about marketing or whatever it was. And it was the I, I attracted my first troll who was incensed that I could imagine that that Ted Kennedy had done anything worthwhile in his life. And I'd had no experience with online trolls. And it was hysterical because it was in LinkedIn and people, you know, leaped to my defense. And remember, LinkedIn, for a lot of people, has real life people you know and have relationships with. So it was actually a great experience. I don't want to uh, dissuade anybody from, from doing that. But having my first troll was awesome. I learned a whole lot of stuff. And it was fascinating kind of watching people leap into the fray. I wasn't being very sophisticated with it, frankly. I was trying to learn the different mediums because LinkedIn up to that point had been largely about finding a job for people. People weren't really using it that way yet. And so I was trying to understand how to harness it for really for connections and building business and personal branding, not to get a job. 
if I were doing this over again, I would I would do it a little differently, I think. I mean, it's a different time now. It's a little harder to get notice on some places like Twitter. So I would focus on a hyper audience. I would niche even more narrowly. Uh, it took me a while to find my voice. I'd say it took about the first year before I started to kind of have a rhythm and a cadence to it. So it's nice to have a small audience in the beginning as you find your way. I think that's really important. And then the other piece, uh, which has also changed since then, it's a truism that pictures or an image is worth a thousand words, but it's even more true now. So images are really, really important. So use images well and don't don't say, oh, I can't. Instagram doesn't make sense for my brand. It might, especially if you're the person who figures out how to use it in your niche where nobody else has done it. So you know, visual, a hyper small audience that you bend over backwards to please, to to your point, Jonathan. Mm, Yep. I would suggest if you are the kind of person who is good in person, then maybe video is a good fit for you, or at least audio. If you find that you're good with people in person, it probably, I would guess, I don't really know, but I've never thought about it until now, but I would guess that your body language is good it's effective. You're not like a code monkey, neck beard, you know, like antisocial, you know, you're probably pretty social. You probably come across, if you come across pretty well in person, you're probably going to come across pretty well in video. I don't, I'm kind of guessing. Well, the thing that you want to do is with video, some people who are good in person have a challenge because there's no person on the other side of the video. So the key is you have to imagine that you're talking with people. It sounds like such a silly thing, but it's true. You really have to see it as a conversation with your audience, even though you're the only one doing the talking. It just, it takes a little while to get, get used to it. I totally agree with that. I had, I, I had done hundreds and hundreds of podcast episodes before I started ditching hourly, which was the first one where I did any solo episodes and it was brutally difficult. I was really taken by surprise. I couldn't, I couldn't record one five minute episode without like writing the whole thing down at first. And so, so quick trick there, if you, if you do think that you're good in person, you think that that might translate to audio or video, then answer questions from a specific person. So like get questions from people and answer the question on video. Cause you'll feel way more like you're talking to someone, even if they're not there. Uh, another thing is to like we're doing, get either a co-host or just do an interview show, you know, an audio show where you're same thing. You're like actually talking to someone. You're probably good at having conversations. So just have a conversation with someone about a topic that's of interest to the other people in your market, you know, whatever audience it is that you're trying to do. So I've seen plenty of people who aren't even that good in person who do a perfectly fine job, (laughs) right? Who do a perfectly fine job out of the gate doing an interview podcast. Almost everybody can have a conversation. In, on an interview show, you don't even have to drive the conversation. You just have like five or six questions ready to go. And you ask the first one and see where it goes. If you need to t- pull another one off the list, you do it. It's a great way to get started. And it's about the other person. You know, you're focusing on getting information out of them. So it feels easier, right? Because you don't have to be on point. It's, it's the other person. You're guiding them to get the right thing for your listeners. But I feel like you're, you're acting as a representative for your listener, which gives you a job. Exactly. Yep. And oh, by the way, you now just had a half hour to 60 minute phone call 
with someone in your target market in a very, very non-threatening way. You say, hey, famous person in my target market, I'm putting this show together. It's going to be about this thing that you and I both care deeply about. Could you spare maybe 30 minutes to jump on a Skype call? And I'll just interview you. Here's maybe a list of questions that I'd like to talk about, but you know, we can talk about whatever you want. And would you have time for that? And, you know, and then to share this with the audience. It's a much easier ask than like, hey, can we jump on a phone a phone call for 30 minutes so I can tell you about all the things I could do for your business? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's lots and lots of benefits to this. So especially for someone who's really good locally and in person, probably natural conversationalist. And that's a way to kind of translate that in-person skill into something that makes sense in a digital realm. Yeah. And that's really what we're talking about. I mean, we started that at the beginning is this is a translation process is how do you take the essence of who you are and the thing, the things plural that people love about you and translate that into new media? Yeah. New media. That's funny. I was going to say mediums. uh, (laughs) So I said media instead. Yeah. All right. So are we leaving anything out? Have we like not dotted some I's? Well, I'm sure if we didn't, someone will tell us. I feel like there's it's a huge topic. There are probably lots of questions. So, dear listener, if you are uh, interested in a follow-up question or something like that, you can find us online. Our, our Twitter uh, handles are on the website, Business of Authority, so you can go to the show notes. And this might, yeah, this might be a really good episode for follow-up questions. We don't usually ask for that, but we love getting them. So, yeah, them, yeah. for the reasons we just stated. <laughs> right. Dog fooding. Okay, well, we'll probably leave it there for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for The Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.